Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you're listening. This is the Humane Roundup Podcast with your hosts, Ashley Bishop uh, and Daniel Ettinger. Thanks for listening. We're really excited about this episode. I'm really excited about this episode. I don't know about you, Bishop, but I am. I'm really, really, really excited, and uh, you're, you're just going to want to tune in and keep keep listening the whole the whole whole time because we got some fun stuff. We're going to talk to Peta here in a second. When I say that, though, Bishop, what is your Who? like? When I Peta, the people for Pita? the ethical people for the not Peta bread, people for the <laughs> ethical treatment of animals. What is your when I say that? Because when we say that a lot in animal control, you get different different results. What is your what do you think? Like what comes to mind? I mean. I'm probably one of the many that is like, we're talking to who? The, well, first of all, I mean, everybody knows the other acronym, right? No, actually, I don't. Go ahead. You can't offend them. It's fine. P- people eating tasty animals? Oh. So You've sure never they, heard that? <laughs> I think I've seen it. You know, as, as me being a plant-based person, I've totally been thrown that my way a few times. Um, well, it's going to be a great episode because I really think it's important. And I'm not just like saying that because I do eat plants. I'm saying that because they really do some good stuff. It's not all about changing the bullpen to the arm barn. If you've ever saw that story from PETA, it's about some really good things that they do with, with animals, animal control, open admission, animal shelters, etc. So we're going to get all their takes here uh, right now. Let's just do it. Let's just jump in. Let's introduce our guest Daphna, Daphna, wow, Daphna oh, Nakminovich. I, I had it, I had it great. Uh, Daphna Nakminovich, she is the Senior Vice President of Cruelty Investigations with PETA. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, ex- I'm excited. <laughs> Hopefully my enthusiasm doesn't, um, you know, over overwhelm this morning, but I'm really excited to have you. Bishop, I think is extremely excited to have you. Yes. And we would like to hear a little about you, kind of how you got started with PETA and what your role is as the Senior Vice President of Cruelty Investigations. Sure. Thank you again for having me. So I joined PETA 25 years ago, just celebrated 25 years last month. Congrats. I moved to Virginia. Thank you. Uh, moved to Virginia from Chicago to for the job. And um, I got involved. Uh, I, I actually made it to the United States when I was about 16 years old. I um traveled all over the world, and I'm originally from Israel, and I stopped uh, eating animals when I was 16. I just kind of made a connection between my dogs and other animals and decided I didn't want to eat them anymore, and then when I made it to the States, I learned about PETA. Um, I can't remember how, but I just started sending in my 16 bucks a year, and then um, in 1997 or so, I called PETA about a horrible pet shop uh, in Chicago that, uh, wasn't just horrible to puppies and kittens, but had, uh, confined some exotic animals like a toucan and a black panther and really substandard conditions. And so I called and, you know, I, I, I called the caseworker I was working with. And, uh, when I called after hours one day, it said for job opportunities, press seven and I pressed seven and then I interviewed and then I uh, harassed them until they hired me <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm still there now. And so I, I oversee our cruelty investigations department and just real quick, it's a, it's a big department. We, we do um, undercover investigations and I think a lot of um, animal control and sheltering folks are familiar with the recent Invigo bust by the Department of Justice, you know, our undercover investigation sort of sparked the domino effect that that resulted in the liberation of these beagles. Oh, um, yeah, we, sure. Yeah. So and then 4,000, we, 4, right? 4,000. Yes. And at the time of our investigation, there were more than 5,000. And the facility has been had been operating since 1961 there. So, you know, countless, probably hundreds, maybe millions of beagles over the years had been bred and sold from that hideous place. Um, So undercover investigations, we do actually have a small animal shelter in Virginia that we operate, and um, it's pretty unique, and we can get into that later if you want. We operate five spay-neuter clinics, four of them are mobile, one of them is stationary, and our field division goes into impoverished areas along the border of Virginia and North Carolina to help people take care of their animals. Uh, We mostly serve chained dogs or pen dogs, dogs who are, you know, kept outside 24-7. So Daphna, 
I'm sorry to interrupt, but why isn't no PETA known more for stuff like that, right? So when when you're telling me this, it is mm-hmm. it is almost in sync with what a lot of like well the big but not I couldn't even I shouldn't even say bigger, but like HSUS has a program just like that where they're you know providing low cost spay neuter services. Like why is PETA more known for their outlandish like like I ma- made kind of a joke earlier, but they're known for you know, changing Extremists. the bullpen. Yeah why, yeah, why is that? Well, that's the stuff that makes press. You know, I mean, we did get, we do get coverage on our local program. There was a, a big article in the Washington Post last November um, that was on the cover of the Washington Post magazine. And, and the title was something like, you know, why are people so cruel to their dogs? Or, um, and, But I don't think a lot of people necessarily see that. I think that the, you know, the goofy stuff makes headlines. Um, and, okay. and it's, you know, it's there to get attention and that's what it does. Okay. Um, so I think a lot of people are just maybe less familiar or unfamiliar. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I think our organization raises awareness about things that people would really rather not know about. And so sometimes, mm. um, you know, people don't welcome information that, uh, you know, makes them feel as if they should change their ways or what they should eat or what they should wear or, um, you know, where they should go for entertainment. So we, we get that, you know, but um, I think if people look closer at what we're saying, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, there's nothing, I personally don't think there's anything extreme about it. It's really just consideration of animals, regardless of, um, you know, how people feel about how cuddly or cute they are, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, from, from our perspective, they all suffer. They all feel pain. Um, they all feel loneliness. They all have the right to, you know, experience time with their families. And, you know, it's 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 nothing earth shattering, really. To me, it's just common sense. But I think, you know, people see the headlines. And, um, and also now, of course, we have social media and, you know, people expressing their opinions. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, people think they know things, but they, they don't, you know. And so we're, we invite people. First of all, I mean, and I'll give you my my email address for anybody who wants to learn more about PETA, you know, we're an open book. We don't, <laughs> we don't have a lot of secrets. So I'm, I'm happy to, you know, talk to anybody who has questions. Um, well, let's but do that. I did want to, I wanted to yeah. also mention that we, we have an emergency response team that has uh, about 15 caseworkers who work with animal control agencies all over the country. And I think, um, I think a lot of your listeners have probably gotten calls from us and, it's, it's sometimes it's frustrating to them because we get calls from people who, for whatever reason, you know, humans are strange. They don't want to call their local animal control agency or they say they've tried and didn't get results or they just think PETA can swoop in with a magic wand and fix everything. And so we, you know, very often, actually on a daily basis, our caseworkers are in a position to call on animal control officers to check on individual animals we've gotten complaints about and we don't have uh, uh, most of the time we don't have a way to verify the complaints. And so, um, I mean, this is just really a shout out to the animal control officers who help, uh, who help us get to those animals, because very often, you know, we end up, um, you know, really, uh, finding situations that needed to be addressed. And I you bring I up a really good, a, yeah. a really good point. And this is what I want to be able to do today in some aspects is relate the misconceptions that we, as the dog catcher, as the animal, whatever, animal dog warden, we get mislabeled as well, right? So people call PETA because they think the dog catcher is just going to put the animal down, right? Mm-hmm. So people have a misconception in general about what animal control does. And so that's what's so important to me is to show today why PETA also has that misconception. So I want to cycle, cycle back into what you were talking about with your investigation team, et cetera. So how does, like, how does that work? How does, does animal control, can we ever contact PETA for things? Does PETA just reach out to animal control? I, obviously you can go to PETA.org and find more information there, but Daphna, what is the best way for us to know who we may be working with in our community that is part of PETA? Right. So, I mean, we have people all over the country, but generally, if you want to contact us, I strongly encourage animal control officers and shelter staff, you know, just email me and I'll get you to the right person. My email address is Daphna N at PETA.org. 
I'm on my email <laughs> as when I'm awake and I'm, I'm happy to get you in touch with the right person. And, you know, when we get uh, calls or emails from animal control officers or shelter staff who need help with things, that's a top priority for us. Um, you know, we want to support your work. We understand, believe it or not, your challenges, um, both in terms of dealing with members of the community who, you know, may or may not be compliant with the law, but also we do want to be a resource if your shelter is, you know, under fire from people who, um, you know, don't really understand your challenges. I mean, we ourselves, we do run a small, as I mentioned, open admission shelter. Uh, we do euthanize and we euthanize uh, animals for people whose animals are, you know, at the end of their lives and they can't afford that service. And that, you know, that's about a dozen animals a week who come to us who are, you know, the most humane thing for them um, from an age and health perspective is euthanasia. And then we are also the sort of, you know, point the finger at PETA to euthanize the feral cats that other places don't necessarily want to take in. So we, we actually do um, get a lot of, you know, negative attention because we euthanize. And, um, you know, I didn't mention that before I came to PETA, I worked at the Anti-Cruelty Society in Chicago for a few years. So this was in the 90s. So it's been a long time. But I learned so much, you know, and I, I don't think I would have even been hired by PETA if I hadn't had that experience. Um, but it was a truly open admission shelter, you know, 365 days a year, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., Christmas, New Year's Day, you know, and um, I just I still have, <laughs> you know, vivid memories of the, the we had three doors. And when somebody opened the door, when they would bring an animal, the door would buzz, you know, so that you'd know to go into the receiving area. And you know, your heart sank every time that buzzer went off. And so, um, you know, my experience with open admission sheltering and euthanasia is very personal, very, very personal. I, you know, it took me nine months to even dare go and, and, and stay with an animal during euthanasia. And it was a life-changing experience. Um, so I think we know, I, all I'm saying is that we know at PETA that the people most upset about euthanasia are the people who have to perform it. And that, you know, we're seeing a movement across the country that is reducing euthanasia by essentially keeping animals out of the shelter. And we oppose that very staunchly. So, I mean, you, you've already touched on it a little bit, you know, the, the no kill movement, every shelter's goal to be a no kill shelter. Um, now, are you saying that PETA is, interested and or willing to participate in euthanasia for space? Or is this still a in the best interest in humane treatment of the animals? You know, we've got a we've talked about it numerous times on the show, a dog that will, you know, lash out. Nobody knows why it's going to require in Hence, training and probably living with a trainer before it would actually be able to be in society. Um, and so we've talked about the fact that, yeah, those dogs probably need to be put down. Um, but obviously there's a lot of, um, I'm seeing it up here right now in Wisconsin at my local shelter. They're full. Um, we went from, hey, let's get every animal out of the shelter during COVID to, hey, we don't have time for this animal and we didn't do anything with it during COVID. So we're bringing it back to the shelter now and the shelters are full. So what is PETA's stance on that? That's a good, I mean, that's a good question. You know, obviously we don't want to see Great animals question. euthanized just for space. I mean, nobody wants that. But what we think is really important is to keep the doors open to the animals who, you know, are being returned for whatever reason, because if the shelter turns them away, you know, we, and let me just give you an example in, in Virginia where we're located, you know, we get a lot of, uh, a lot of calls from local people who are turned away from other shelters. We're in an area that has seven cities clustered together and it's called Hampton Roads and each city has its own shelter and some also have an SBCA and so on. And so a lot of times the people who come to us have been turned away from other shelters. And then, 
Sometimes those are animals who need to be euthanized, or sometimes they are aggressive dogs. And, you know, most shelters, and I totally get it, they don't want to offer, um, or maybe they're not in a position these days to offer a, a euthanasia service to the community. In Virginia, we submit our numbers at the end of each year, and so they're scrutinized by people who advocate no kill. And so, because so pe- people so, want to see a 90%. Yeah, I mean, this 90% thing, I mean, for us, I'm just speaking as, as, as myself and for PETA, you know, we're seeing these animals are individuals. I mean, you lump them together to make a statistic that I think to the average person doesn't tell the whole story. Of course not. And, you know, and so you, you have people, you know, of course the community is going to want no kill. It's a, it's a brilliant sounding slogan. It's a slogan though. Look, don't get me started. And the reality <laughs> is Daphna, and, and I don't mean this to be insensitive because I do this job for a lot of different reasons. But if you look at it from a business perspective, what best friends did with the slogan, no kill, it fucked up the whole game. And I'll tell you why is because people that aren't familiar with what that means thinks that every shelter should be no kill. Right. And here's what here's what we're doing. And we can talk about it as we go, but we're warehousing animals. We're letting animals suffer because we don't have the ability to provide proper vet care. Right. We're putting it more so to me, we're putting animals back in the community that are dangerous, right? That right. can Absolutely. that can hurt 100%. somebody or hurt an, another animal. And so that that aspect of open admission versus limited admission that's the that's the true reality there, and and I really support PETA. I really do. I su- I support PETA's take on not warehousing animals, and I'd also I think what we should do for a fundraiser, really quick. I might be joking a little bit, but I might be serious. Is we should do a Royal Rumble PETA versus best friends, and then uh-huh. like a Royal Rumble like WWF stuff, and then whoever wins, then we can stop with this charade of no kill because it's just. It's, I, I, I wish we could do that. I really <laughs> wish we could do that. I, I can't tell you how much damage we have seen across the country. And I sent you guys some links, but this is a daily, by the way, we do keep a list of animal control officers and other animal shelters where we send those articles out to kind of keep posted, uh, people posted on what's going on across the country. And, and I don't know if you guys saw the study that came out in the last couple months, but there was a study about how many, you know, the spay neuter gap because of the pandemic and how many animals would have been spayed or neutered if there was no COVID. Um, And so how many surgeries we missed basically because services came to a halt. And it was something like 2.7 million animals who haven't been spayed or neutered. And and so then you you take that, you you couple that with the fact that shelters are saying, we can't take this cat. We don't take in cats if they're healthy, just leave them outside, it's great. And then the next thing you know is there's more animals. So all of this Speaking is going of to cats. backfire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is going to backfire, Daphna, and it, we're starting to see that. We're starting to see how many people got animals during COVID and now are realizing. And that's the other thing is like how many people own animals as, I mean, we live in a, a, a disposable society, right? And so whether that's your animal whether it's you know your TV, that's fine, but you want a bigger TV. I mean, it, it's the same thing when it comes to animals. So we're seeing people bring those back into the into the shelter. I want to. I just. I just kind of want to regroup here and and go back to something with the Beagle case that you talked about. Is yeah. that something that is it? Are there like is there pending charges? Has that case been finalized yet, or are the animals just been rescued and moved on and closed down? Like where is that as far as the legal system goes? That's a great question. So the civil case is concluded um, and the case was dismissed through a consent decree, but the Department of Justice is still, I, I think criminal charges, let's just say federal criminal charges are not off the table. And that so does continue. Let's, let's but do the this. dogs are out. That's, that's the, the most important thing. Yeah. What I want to do, Daphna, is I want to continue with this episode, but when that case is closed, will you promise us to come back on and talk about Oh my God, that... yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I lived and breathed that case for so long that I, I, don't, I almost feel like I'm walking through a dream that these that we you know that, that, that the outcome was the outcome because it, all of a sudden you you know you think like oh my god people are actually doing the right thing <laughs> right now because the USDA you know kept citing and citing and citing and citing and over the course of ten months cited the facility for almost seventy five violations 
50 of those, almost 50 of those were based on PETA's evidence. And, but no discipline, no, 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 no penalties, no seizures, no nothing. And so during that time time, frame, during that time frame, 10 months. And, you know, during some of those 10 months, we were still in there, but at some point, you know, we exited and we had given the evidence to federal authorities and, um, it would ju- it just it just was an exercise in futility, you know, because you, they weren't doing their job. And so to finally have people do the right thing and take this seriously, I, I mean, it was it just you feel like that never happens. So it's pretty. Amazing. I don't know if you can speak to this yet or if you have to wait till everything is finished with the case. Um, but I think our listeners would like to know now or eventually what happened with those dogs. Where are they? Well, so I think as, as most people know, HSUS, through the, the civil case that the Department of Justice filed, HSUS took custody of all the dogs and essentially sort of distributed them across the country. And there was a list on their website, I think if you just Google 4,000 Beagles and HSUS, of the shelters that took them in. Um, we were very fortunate through a shelter partner in Virginia to take in 25, which was a, a just a, a heart-filling experience for this one. But... Um, they all went to different agencies, you know, from Florida to California. And as far as we know, um, I think with probably some exceptions, um, most of them have been adopted. I think some of them were pretty, you know, uh, needed a lot of behavioral rehabilitation. I mean, the conditions in there weren't just inhumane, you know, in terms of deprivation of food, water, veterinary care, but uh, I mean, these dogs were warehoused, you know, and um, they had to compete for resources, you know, 24-7. And uh, I just have to tell you, one of the dogs that we got had a lot of hair loss on mm. uh, on both sides of her body. And the person who adopted her actually, you know, happened to have some inspection experience and told me that that was from that dog, quote unquote, hugging the pen because she would walk, she was so submissive, she would just walk the perimeter of the pen, rubbing against the chain link fence. And that's where all that hair loss came off of. And so you just, you know, imagine 5,000, you know, at some point, you know, just five or so years ago, they had more than 5,000 dogs. And none of those dogs got any individual attention. And so when they come out, obviously, they, a lot of them were just like, hey, what's next? But a lot of them were just, you know, petrified and confused and needed a lot of time. So I think some of those are still being worked with. I I giggled when you said you guys took in 25 of them because all I can think of is wherever your kennel room is. Bo? 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 <laughs> no. 25 I, times. It was pretty awesome. It was oh. really, it was really awesome. I mean, it was just, it was a, like one of my favorite lifetime can we can we transition yeah. into that? So outside of this specific case, I know Peter does a lot of a lot of investigations, right? A lot of undercover yeah. investigations. How does that work? So like, I'm an OG out in these streets, right? <laughs> Anybody know? Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, but to to be honest, like, how does that work? Like, how do you get somebody without giving away all your secrets into these situations? Whether it's, is it dog fighting? Is it, is it more food producing animals? Like how do you get them undercover and then into these situations? And what is the, then what is the length that they have to stay in that position? Is it until you finally like can, can get a case out of it or is it a certain amount of time? That's a great question. Um, so like everything else, I'm going to say it kind of depends, you know, it depends on the type of case. Um, within Vigo, we were in there for seven months and part of the reason for that is not is to establish a pattern of conduct, not not just like, oh, three bad things happened. And then you go to authorities and it's like, oh, it's a bad apple fire. This person um, we we do undercover investigations into a variety of things. I mean, laboratories, breeding facilities, um, factory farms. We did just have one hundred and thirty nine charges filed against six different people in Pennsylvania for an undercover investigation we did into a turkey farm, uh, actually multiple turkey farms where we documented workers violently abusing these turkeys. And um, it took almost 
a year, but the charges were just filed against these people. And some of them are being charged with felony charges. We did also do, you know, I don't know if people remember Caboodle Ranch in Florida. Um, that was <laughs> 10 years ago or so, but we had someone in there for several months. Um, the ASPCA ended up uh, doing the seizure with local law enforcement. But we do investigate hoarding facilities. Um, we've shut down a number of them. Uh, there was a place in South Carolina called Sacred Vision Animal Sanctuary. Um, there was another hoarder in Florida who hoarded uh, pigs and other um, four-footed and chickens. So it, it really depends. And so, you know, people, for example, I'll just use Invigo as an example. Our person was an employee at Invigo. Um, they got hired and they, you know, they did a job and they did a, a, they were probably the best employee at the facility because when they gave notice, you know, they were begged to stay. Mm. But um, sometimes it's a volunteer gig. Sometimes it's a, it's a job. It really depends. Um, sometimes like with the turkey case, you know, in the first two days, it became really clear that animals were actively suffering as a result of these perpetrators' violence. And it, and and I remember saying, uh, this has to be quick because we don't, you know, we if, if we're documenting, you know, animals, you know, being hit with baseball bats or thrown across a room to other people, then we need to go to police to, now. Yeah, what are they going to do know? to you if they find out that you're... Yeah, like they're going to be well, that, that, that and also just, you know, our goal is to stop it, you sure. know, um, sure. and that was a place that was b- billing itself as a humane meat supplier. Okay. Um, so just for, for people listening, I mean, I think, you know, you think, oh, PETA's extreme because they don't want me to eat turkeys. Well, I think if you saw this footage, you wouldn't want to eat turkeys. <laughs> so is there ever a time where the undercover person ends up having to somehow because it's you know within the policy there let's say they're employed it's policy to do xyz um and they are involved with some of the mistreatment or uh not- sometimes you got to smoke the weed yo or do some yeah. of the cocaine or do some of the fentanyl to fit in <laughs> well like we- how does we that don't. work in the justice system? Well, that we don't. I mean, if it's okay. if it's a, if if it's a violation of law, absolutely not. That's that's not that is a very very clear directive. Is that if there's a, a violation of law, you have to report that to the manager. Um, you don't participate. Absolutely not. I mean, there's a difference between um, you know practices that and and actually we don't have our investigators participate in things even you know on a on a pig you know I'm. I, I'm sure most people know that, you know, at three weeks of age, piglets in the pig, you know, pork industry are castrated without anesthesia and their tails are docked um, without any pain relief. They're just cut. And so we, we don't, yeah, I wouldn't have, you know, my investigator do any of that stuff, even though it is a, an industry, it's a standard industry practice. Um, and that's another struggle we have too when we deal with these cases is, you know, you, you're documenting things that are are cruel and painful, but they're standard industry practice. So our challenge is to show that, um, for example, with this turkey case, obviously it's not standard industry practice to kick turkeys or pretend that you're raping them, which is one of the, the offenses that a person is charged with. And so, you know, we we have to engage experts in the field to say, no, that's not standard industry practice. Um, but I, I just think it's important for people to realize, you know, when you look at the numbers of turkeys and chickens and uh, and cows and pigs who are raised uh, in 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 the meat industry just to be killed. The sheer numbers alone will tell you, you know, th- there's no way to do that humanely. I mean, there's just no way. You have those chicken sheds that we all see when we drive from one state to another contain something like two hundred and fifty thousand chickens each. Um, so you you just think about walking through one of those, and you know, animal control officers rescue chickens all the time. You know, you know, they have personalities and they enjoy certain things. And when you put them in a cage with five other ones, they're going to, you know, they have a pecking order. They so they debeak them and do things to them to prevent them from injuring each other. I mean, these are just the things that I do think if people sort of just peek, you know, behind the curtain, they'll understand why we advocate what we advocate. Um, That's why we have you on the show today is really to kind of clarify some of that. And again, and I said it earlier and I'll say it again. An animal control officer officer should be able to relate to how PETA is 
the misconceptions of what you do because we deal with the same thing. It's just a little bit different, right? Talk to me really quick though, or talk to our listeners really quick about when there are charges, who charges? Well, law enforcement. I mean, in Pennsylvania on the Turkey case, the 139 charges were filed by Pennsylvania State Police. So we took our evidence to Pennsylvania State Police. Now in Virginia, there's a private right of prosecution. So we have charged people ourselves by going to the magistrate's office and swearing on charges. If there's Is that a civil charge though? No, it's a it's a misdemeanor criminal charge. Um, but if we do that, then I usually engage the Commonwealth Attorney's Office to get their help in prosecution. Okay. Um, like say if we find a dog who's been, you know, deprived of veterinary care or starved to death, very oftentimes our, our cruelty cases that we handle with our local field work division. Um, our postmortem, like we find, you know, we in North Carolina last February, we found a dog. Um, the woman gave us the body and the dog had starved to death. And there were five other dogs chained in the backyard. And we did end up, actually, we got her charged criminally, but we also sued civilly to get custody of the dogs. Um, but we, we can in Virginia go to the magistrate's office and swear out charges. We rarely do that. That's not something we do uh, often. You know, it's I mean, generally, our field work division works to educate and, you know, lead by example and try to improve things. And we do work on um, local and state legislation to try and improve animal welfare standards and address tethering practices and that kind of thing. But but generally, when charges are filed, it's it's law enforcement. So let's move into some of the legislation. Is there anything in particular you guys are working on to get changed right now? Yeah. So, I mean, one of our biggest focuses with local legislation is, is just animal welfare standards and, and, um, and tethering uh, type stuff. We do. Uh, we love differentials for spayed or neutered animals and permits to encourage spay neuter. Um, but generally, our big focus is uh, tethering. We do support ordinances also to, you know, ban the sale of commercially bred puppies and kittens and pet stores. Um but and on a state level, you know, we were uh, we, we worked very closely with legislators in Virginia in 2022 to get the Beagle bills passed, which was before we knew that, you know, the facility would get shut down. Um, we worked with legislators to get some uh, really historic restrictions in place that would have eventually resulted in the shutdown of the facility if it didn't comply with the Animal Welfare Act. So because the USDA is, um, you know so lax in enforcement we were seeking to get no way (laughs) i know right um we were seeking to get teeth through state law teeth so one of the laws that we got passed was uh, a law that essentially meant that if this facility come july 1st 2023 would have had one direct or one critical violation uh they wouldn't have been able to do business in virginia so in 2023 general assembly 2023 in virginia we do have some um, some plans to try and expand that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're not, um, I, I will just say we do lobby and we get involved with legislation, but that's not a, that's not a, a huge, it's not a huge part of what we do. It's just part of what we do. So with the areas that we serve um, chain dogs in, I mean, we, we do, we do serve areas where Dogs are so chronically neglected mm-hmm. um, that we are trying to work with public officials to address that. And, and I, part I of, talk part of what we do too, is yeah. educate them. You know, yeah. they don't well, know. The Colorado, it's it's going to be on the legislative panel for 2023 uh, to make that a state requirement. So that would be a misdemeanor if someone's in violation of it. And, then, and when I saw it, I had some reservations because I've heard from my friends in Texas and I've heard from people in California that have that currently that it can be very difficult to enforce. But what Colorado Mm -hmm. is doing and which I admire is they're really taking an approach to not necessarily put a time frame on it, Mm -hmm. which is huge because that's the hard part to enforce. It's about what condition is the animal in? How is it actually tethered? Can it reach shelter? Can it access fresh water? Right. Those type of things are what's important is the is the rope tangled up around the animal, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's does a good it, law if it's written well. Does it include behavior? I think so, actually. And I can uh, I don't I didn't pull it up before we started, so I'm not going to go down there. But I think so. Actually, I think it has something. I to would do love with that. to see that. Uh, so 
that's that's one aspect of it. And then here's a question for you, and this might be a bigger PETA question, is we talk about spay and neuter all the time, and I'm a huge fan, obviously. I think it's important uh, in what we do. Ha- is there succession planning? And this is generate. This is not our generation, Daphna, Ashley. Like We're not going to see it. But at some point, like, are we succession planning again uh, uh, for the aspect? Because I don't think this PETA not, and I know there's some back and forth about this, does PETA not want people to own pets? I, I love that question. I mean, it's just like, uh, I, I hear that so much. And I don't, um, I think the, the point that we're making is that humans have made a big mess. You know, sure. we've got, we've got puppy mills, we've got pet stores, we've got backyard breeders, we have a surplus, you know, and we have, I mean, we do adoptions, we transfer animals for adoption. My you know, dog was adopted from PETA, numerous dogs. We have dogs who come to the office. We have cats who live in our office, you know, just to, to, to put it in that sort of black and white category is really, really misleading. So I'm glad you you asked that question because, you know, to tell me that we're going to spay neuter animals out of existence, give me a break. That's never going to happen. You know? So my That's question like, though, the, the larger question is succession planning. So that, that may not happen necessarily, but it's happening in some of the more affluent states, like they're bringing up animals from Texas, Louisiana, right? So not in our lifetime, but do you ever foresee a, a, an environment where we're bringing animals in from overseas? So we're helping those communities, right? Because they have such a huge, I mean, it's just, it's way different, whether it's dogs used in the meat industry in, in other countries, right? And so my, my question is large scale succession planning, maybe hundreds, 200 years down the road, do we have that set up where we can bring in pets from other countries? Are we even thinking about that? That's my question. I mean, I, I can't imagine that we're anywhere near ready to think about that. And I'm not sure that I buy that, you know, some of those affluent communities ran out of animals. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's like more desirable, quote unquote, puppies or puppies or I'm not sure what's going up north. I've I don't know where that ends up. I mean, we had a case um, of a, a place called um, Angels Gate Animal Hospice in New York. You guys may remember this. this is, her name was Susan Marino, and this woman had you know animals coming from all over the place, and they were mostly handicapped. Um, it was horrible, and we we did end up shutting her down by working with the Attorney General's office in New York, who got her really more on. Um, you know, funds, misappropriation of funds and fundraising unlawfully more than anything. But the conditions at that place were so hideous. And and they facilities like hers, uh, it's not unusual for them to get animals who normally would be euthanized at an animal shelter and should be euthanized at an animal mm-hmm. shelter. But because they're trying to keep numbers appealing, they get they put those animals in a transfer column and send them to a quote unquote sanctuary or hospice. And sure. those animals were, you know, dragging themselves around in her house or sitting in cribs with diapers on with mm. no quality of life. And a lot of the animals died unassisted. So all that to say that, you know, I, I mean, those animals were going up north to Angel's Gate, you know, and it's um, gotcha. it's yeah. I, I just am I, I'm just a little skeptical because I don't I, I know that we're hearing from places all over the country that they're overwhelmed, they can't find staff, they, they can't find veterinary staff, they can't find shelter staff. And so I, I don't think that, I mean, I I wish we had a pocket that we could point to as a model to say, so what have you done? Because we want to do that down here, right? But I, I haven't personally seen that. Um, I would love to think that we, we'll be in a position one day to help other countries. But I mean, boy, we've got you know, I mean, hundreds I get of years ahead of us before we get to that. Oh, yeah. And I got a call yesterday from someone who had a spay neuter clinic planned for 100 cats on Tuesday. And the vet said, you know, they can't they won't be able to do, you know, really, they won't be able to do but maybe 20. And they were asking us if we could help. And, you know, I asked my director of the clinics if we could help. And it was like, oh, we're already over books for Tuesday. I mean, we're we're struggling. I think everybody's struggling to keep up. And so, I mean, I wish the focus was on spay neuter. I think it's less of a sexy, you know, prospect for the public and for the press, but that's how we're going to, you know, that's how we're going to solve this problem is by getting more animals spayed or neutered, not by warehousing them or leaving them on the streets. You know, I think we've really, um, I think the pandemic and then the no-kill movement have 
resulted in more animals who need help, you know? I mean, it, it, it's, it's a disaster. I, I think we're really in a crisis right now. So I'd love to think that we're going to run out, but I, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. With, let me ask this question. I'm going to try to phrase it the, the, the right way. So if somebody is, I know, <laughs> if somebody's looking at it from maybe just a, a lack of understanding and they see what, and I'm going to use best friends because they're, they're the ones who came up with the, or I don't know if they necessarily came up with the phrase, no kill, but they're, they're the one who has championed it. So I'm going to use them. If someone looks at that and says, well, I mean, they're just trying to do the same thing that PETA does because they love animals so much. They don't want to see them euthanized. What is your take on that? I have my own take and I'll be happy to share it. But what is your take on that? Well, I can't wait to hear your take. I'm happy to share mine. All right, here, let me, you want me to go first? Okay. No, I'll go first. This is Um, what makes radio Daphna. Let's go. Yeah, no, I mean, I I mean, the people who are in shelters love those animals so much. I mean, I I don't, I don't, I mean, to to say, you know, I mean, I I deal with advocates of no kill and and I actually have tried to build bridges and work on things we do agree on. And we're doing quite well with most of them. Some of them are not so reasonable, so they're off the table. But I think to say that is so insulting to the animal shelter workers who are in shelters every day, cleaning, feeding, dealing with the public, which is, you know, to me has historically been the worst part. Um, and then, you know, being basically being labeled killers when they're over there trying to, to killing themselves really to try and get this, uh, these animals taken care of placed if they're placeable and, you know, trying to move the issue forward. So, I mean, I, you know, loving animals doesn't help animals. You know, you have to take action. You have to get them spayed or neutered. You have to educate the public. I mean, I think, you know, from, from my perspective, I, I will never forget people who came into the shelter with a, you know, that door would buzz and they would come in and say, you're not going to kill them, are you? And it's like, well, it's the seventh litter that <laughs> uh, you How many times me. have we heard that, Bishop? Yeah. And so, you you know, you start to think like, well, you, there's so much, um, I'm not going to say ignorance, but lack of awareness. And it's just, I think our job as people who are in the trenches and experience this stuff and know the reality is to try and impart that. And we've been, we've been hobbled by the no-kill movement and educating the public, because as you mentioned earlier, it misleads the public into thinking that it's possible. And it's not, it's not possible. We're seeing that all over the country, shelter closures, parvo outbreaks, cats are being left on the streets to reproduce because nobody wants to euthanize feral cats. Mm. There's no spay neuter services because of whatever reason, whether it's the pandemic or just, you know, let's blame the pandemic. Lack of funding. Um, so yeah. Lack of funding, what what have you. So anyway, your turn. Woo! All right. <laughs> Here we go. To love an animal is to accept the fact that it may not it may not need to exist in this consciousness for us to feel good about it. And what I mean by that is first and foremost, let's stop putting a label on death. We don't even know what death is. All we know is that that, that being is not in this current existence that we experience. What we can say is if I have to euthanize one animal to save five, that's the important factor, right? If I have to euthanize one animal because the amount of resources and time putting into that animal is costing us X, Y, and Z, then I'm not doing five or 10 other animals the responsibility that I'm supposed to do. That's my take. Or if we have to euthanize one animal to keep the human population safe as That's well. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think that that was very well stated and quite deep, may I add. Um, but but I, I think that that's something that's very hard for the public to grasp. Um, and we are seeing, you know, I call this life at any cost philosophy. It's like, you know, we do have no-kill advocates in our backyard who are, you know, they 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 fight to quote on. They think they're saving. I don't think they're saving. I think when an animal is dangerous um, or aggressive, not only do they pose a threat to public safety, but they're not happy animals. You know, you're not really doing a service to that dog to keep them alive so that they can go in a concrete pen. Uh, concrete and chain link pen and have to be muzzled when they come out. And we have so many friendlies, you know, everywhere. 
So mm-hmm. I think that people, and, and I have seen, I've seen our, our local municipal shelter place dangerous animals that have been returned for biting and have been re, re-adopted. And I think that's, I think that's criminal. You know, we've had, we had a, a there's a cases in, in Colorado. Beach. Yeah. Yep. That shelters have been charged. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. I mean, we had a woman, uh, a 90 year old woman was killed by a dog who was adopted from a local quote unquote rescue who was, you know, bounced around, bounced around and ended up in Virginia Beach from New York and was very clearly a dangerous dog and still had a shock collar when that dog was placed with this lady and her daughter. And he killed this woman and not fast either it took a few days for her to pass in the hospital and there were no real consequences for this um facility you know and if if we if we let these things go they will continue they will a hundred percent and i i'm really i i want to say after you know the 40 minutes that we've been chatting and again i know a little bit about PETA. I, i have some a really good friend who had worked at PETA. Uh, who helped with this interview. So shout out, big homie, you know, if you're listening. Uh, shout and out, homie. <laughs> big homie, shout out. Uh, but so I have some background to it. I mean, I eat plants. That's a different reason. I And with all due respect, when people ask me, I say, I eat plants. I don't throw red paint on people's leather jackets or fur. We so. don't throw red paint. <laughs> I mean, why, what? Can I just tell you how many times I've heard that? It's like, what, do you think we would actually be around if we went around committing felonies? I mean, what is that? I don't know. Who but said that's the that pers- and how did that sit? You just said that. You have to take it back. Okay, I'll take it back. But my point is, <laughs> Daphna, that's my point is you and, and so my like our listeners, the people that uh, that work in our industry, etc, that are that are listening to this episode, they have to be able to relate and understand that, okay, PETA actually does good stuff. And now we're exposed to that. So I, I'm, I'm just grateful that you took the time to chat with us about what it is that you do, what, what what PETA does as well. And hopefully that changes some of the misconception and maybe maybe there's a time where we work together even more. And I know we're already working together. I just, I, I can see that in the future as far as like, now there's a, we trust PETA. We understand what they do. And sure, they might throw out statements sometimes that get people riled up, but it's, it's marketing. It's a business on top of the aspect of helping animals. I get that. And I hope our people, our listeners get that as well. Yeah. And please get in touch. You know, we're just human beings trying to make the world a kinder place. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's really not complicated, you know, and if you, if you're not ready to eat plants or, or just eat plants, that's okay. I mean, we can agree on other things. I I think people, I I don't know. I mean, people maybe they, they just think that they know what we do and who we are. And I, I have, you know, had many conversations with animal control officers and shelter staff about this. And we, you know, obviously we are located in an area where we're by just by virtue of our being there, we get a lot of calls from our partner agencies and municipal shelters and ask us for help, which I love. I love when they call us for help. I love being a resource for these agencies. Uh, I mean, you know, and it can be a spay, you know, we need your spay neuter clinic to spay or neuter 20 rabbits for this hoarder that we took 200 rabbits from, but we're letting her keep 20 to, can you help us, you know, with transport, we transported, you know, um, 17 beagles to one agency that didn't have a way to take them in. We, we're, we want to help, you know, if we can help, we will help. Um, and I did want to, I just want to go back one second to the, of course. To, the to euthanasia discussion that we had a minute ago where, you know, you know, we don't, you know, we don't know what death is or, or, you know, what plane of existence the animal is on. I think, and I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but one of the things that I deal with so much on the euthanasia front, especially when it comes to cats and TNR, um, is, is, um, just a complete, you know, uh, disregard for the fact that these cats do die out there, um, alone and usually in agony. And that, you know, one thing I learned, and it was really a hard lesson, um, you know, that I learned a very long time ago in the early 90s. But I just learned that, you know, euthanasia was not the worst thing that can happen, that we see every day, you know, animals who come in with injuries that are excruciating. They've been sitting in their own waste for months. They've been deteriorating mentally um, and and physically. And I, I, I mean, obviously, you know, if an animal is healthy and happy and can have good quality of life, nobody wants to euthanize that animal. 
but to, to, to regard euthanasia as the ultimate worst outcome is one of our challenges, I think, is that the public has been um, led to think that way because of the no-kill movement. And Well, it's um, way deeper than that, Daphna. I mean, it comes from conditioning as a child. It comes from other factors as well that we put labels on death. We put hell or heaven on it. The reality right? of the aspect is this. Humans can recognize pain and suffering. What we have a hard time understanding is what happens after that. And so making that decision, putting maybe even putting a God label on it is hard for people to, to stomach or, or to chew. Right. The reality is when you look at it, okay, before we play our game, cause we're about to play our game. So let's, cause we always have to end with a fun. That thing. sounds exciting. It's super exciting, <laughs> but to look at it this way and put a label on like an animal that is truly in pain and suffering that you can see, or a veterinarian has given you, like X, Y, and Z, this is why the animal suffering to look at it emotionally or to look at it factually is where the big discrepancy is. If we can take emotion out of it and say, Hey, I mean, it, I, I can be sad and this sucks, but the reality is factually this thing thing, this animal is experiencing pain or suffering or in the other aspect, this animal factually will kill somebody if we put mm -hmm. it back in the community. Mm -hmm. So the best thing in that aspect at that point is just to let it go. And then that other piece of it is like, now you can help other animals because you have the ability to. Right. I mean, that is so, but that is so practical. I think your average person would have a heart. I mean, I'm, I'm on that page. Let me just make clear, but I do think that's a very, that's a, I, I agree with you. I think our challenge is how do we convey that to the average person who does operate on emotion, especially these days, you know, mm. everything is, you know, feelings. Yeah. So yeah. um, we'll get into, we can get into that in another episode because yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. So what we're going to do now is we're going to play this game called pick of the litter. Pick of the litter is brought to you by the humane educators of Texas, humane educators of Texas.com. We'll see them. Well, actually while this airs, we'll be talking to them in person. Anyway, woohoo. <laughs> so the way this game works, so it was really designed mostly for like animal control officers, but you can play because you're cool. And uh, thank you so much. <laughs> I cannot wait. So, I want to hear all about this. All you do is just pick. It's a pick of the litter. You just pick whatever you want. And if you don't like the choices given to us, given to you, you pick your own choice and you tell us why. It's as simple oh, as that. Phew. Okay. You can choose to explain your answer or not, or I mean, but we might follow up on. Action. Yeah, we might. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness! Now I'm very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. Okay, good. All right. Wait, I have to concentrate. Okay. Maybe okay, I'm ready. Okay. Yes. Van, truck, or SUV? Van. Okay. Okay. She's like, why? Why is that a question? Just do you want question. me to answer? Yeah, go ahead. Why? <laughs> Would you like me to elaborate? Yeah, elaborate on that. You just because well, you said you it can like, put more animals in a van. <laughs> That's true. Yes, I agree. Uh, cat, dog, or other? Oh, all. I, I, I like that. I, yeah, I, I, like I that can't. No, can pick. That's nice. I like that. Hip hop, country, or rock. <laughs> oh my yes can I, can I answer israeli music oh yeah for okay. sure <laughs> for sure we had what did, can i spell yes. israeli being a jew i don't know it's hard for me i'm really not a good speller <laughs> an i at the beginning and an i at the end i think i got it <laughs> okay. we had somebody else say country and persian so oh you're not the only one yeah yeah uh non-profit municipality or pd Nonprofit. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say we could probably guess this one too. Dan. I don't know. This is going to be a good one. Bite or cruelty? Bite or cruelty? Mm-hmm. Cruelty? Why? Uh, why I, do you answer I, it that way? Well, I mean, that's what we fight. For sure. I get it. We look at it, well, the way the way I wrote that initially was, what call would you rather handle, right? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 cruelty. Yeah, because you can get, I, I, I mean, I bites, 
So when you do this job for a long time, a lot of people, is the word loathe, like when you hate something? Mm -hmm. Thank you for being my dictionary. (laughs) People loathe them because, but there's a lot of work. It's almost similar, excuse me, to working a cruelty case. If you do it right, there can be a lot of work and it can be a lot of fun working those bites. So, okay. As we go. Body armor or none. Oh goodness. Body armor. Yes. Okay. Why the question while you answer your question? Well, I don't, I do think that's more, uh, you know, geared to it towards ACOs, but if I have the, the, the option of being protected or not, I think I would go with being protected. And that's, that's kind of how I think the intention of that one was as well as, you know, if given the choice, would you want it or not? Uh, barking or stray? Stray. Cell phone or radio? Well, see, I have no experience with that, so I'm going to stick with cell phone. Fair enough. That, absolutely. I think everybody in the country has experience with this now. Zoom or in person? Oh, God, in person, times a thousand. <laughs> uh, skunk or DOA? Oh. <laughs> oh. Not, not DOA. Not DOA. I'll, you can I'll pick take neither. Skunk. You want skunk? Okay, skunk. No, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I'm fine with that. <sighs> but the onion smell. Ugh. I know. The, the, it's like a marijuana a onion smell. smell. Yeah. <laughs> it goes away. <laughs> All right, last one. Catchpole, lariat, or uh, oh, that threw me off. Or snappy snare. Uh, the last answer, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry. Lariat is would be like just like a slip lead. No, it's like a, a you know a, a rodeo guy that throws the rope to catch. Oh, well, uh, uh, snappy I, snare then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would. I would. You know, always leash first. And you can you you want to put leash? That's your answer. I'll you put can leash. Pick, you can yeah. put, put slip leash. leash. That's what the last yes. the last person we had on actually picked slip lead. Yeah. And I'm gonna send you one actually. I'll get your info. Oh, I got you. I got you. I'm, I'm um, very excited about that. Well, that concludes our game of the pick of the litter. You did really well. The pick of the Thank litter you. again brought to you by the Humane Educators of Texas. Check them out, humaneeducatorsoftexas.com. So with that, we're getting to the end of the show, and there's so much more. You're you're a wonderful guest. You're super informative, and I'm not just saying that. Like you have a lot of good takes, and I just want to I, I want to know, like from your perspective, for our listeners that are listening, tell them why it's what important. If our listeners aren't listening, Dan. Well, that's not, <laughs> then they wouldn't be our listeners. That's my point. Can you tell them? Whatever, Bishop. I just got. I just got that. <laughs> tell them why. Like, tell them in your words why PETA is as important to the animal welfare world as maybe an, an animal control officer, and how to look at them maybe differently than like the perception is. Just like people see us as the dog catcher, but we're so different. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the best way to get to know something is to just have firsthand experience with it. So I do invite people to get in touch. Um, but also, you know, we we play a role that no one else does, and we will really leave no stone unturned in trying to address a situation, um, if, you know, in the best way that we can, the best, most effective legal way that we can. And so I do think sometimes, you know, I think people are afraid to call us, especially people who work for municipalities or or people who are not that familiar with us. But like I said earlier, you know, we're, we're just human beings trying to make the world a better place and we're a phone call away. And, you know, if you don't like what we have to say, then you can hang up and never call us again. But don't um, discount us as a resource because you may be struggling with challenges in your community, like your public officials being influenced by the no-kill movement. Mm. And we would be happy to write them a letter educating them about the no-kill movement and what's happening across the country and why staying open admission is important and why um, educating the community is important and what legislative measures can be taken to get out of this. Um, so we, you know, we are, we are here for that and nobody else does that, you know, no, no other organization does that. And, you know, PETA, 
you know, sometimes obviously, as you guys have repeatedly stated, takes unpopular positions. And sometimes that's our position on open admission sheltering is not that popular with the vast majority of, you know, so-called rescues or um, advocates. But it's just the most logical answer. I mean, I don't, I mean, like you said, maybe I look at it more practical and I'm not, I don't, I, and I, I don't Not that there's really... anything wrong with that. I just Correct. think that the average person is not, you know, I, I mean, to some of the things people say, and I'm going to say to us, because I think animal control officers and shelter staff, um, and, and I put, you know, I consider myself a shelter person and I'm a field person too, although I've never been an animal control officer. I just go in the Come field. do a ride along. Oh, I would love to. Don't be careful what you ask for. You know, Come my up. mom lives hey. just a couple hours away from you. Next time Let, I'm in. <laughs> let's do it, Daphna. Come, you're, oh, yeah. I, oh if you're ever in Wisconsin. It's a date. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, I would I would love to do that with both of you. But um, I just think it's important for, for us as people in this field to remember that people in our communities are hearing multiple things. Many of those are not true. And it's hard to stay patient. But so I how do we contact found, how do we contact Sorry. PETA? PETA.org, obviously, but how do we like reach out to the investigation team? That's important. Really, just please email me directly. It's, okay. it's D-A-P-H-N-A-N at PETA.org, and I will get you to the right person and I'll whatever you need. You and know, you're married you to your, your email, so it's not like you're I like, am. Yeah, so it's the probably very quick... rocky, rocky marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean, that's just great information. We'll put your email in the show notes as well. Uh, we, I, I honestly wish we could talk for two more hours and, and we'd love to have you back on in 2023. There's so much more that we could talk about. You, you've been really enlightening, I think. And Bishop, what's yeah. your take? I mean, obviously, maybe you know someone that... Because maybe I'm a little biased, right? And, and I don't want that to come across that way. Only because people may see me biased because they know I eat plants. But like, what is your take? So, I mean, like I said at the beginning, I went into this with the um, misconceptions of what everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but majority of the population think of with PETA, but the intent of learning, because, you know, we can't ever stop learning and things change too. I feel like most of those extreme stories that we mentioned before that, you know, involved PETA and, and things were things that happened a long time ago, but they don't ever seem to go away. I don't know about you, but I haven't heard of any of the super stereotypes extreme, work though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I haven't heard any super extreme stories. Answer my question recently. though, Bishop. How do you feel now that you've heard and participated in this episode? <laughs> I feel more enlightened about it and about PETA in general and feel better knowing that they aren't the like a let's kill everything, but not the let's kill nothing. <laughs> you know, That's fair. I have a much better perception. Much okay. better. Good. And I That's appreciate it. having this episode to yeah. clarify. And I, I definitely invite people who were in the, you know, quote unquote, Peter Kills camp to get in touch with me. And actually, you know, everybody, you two and all your listeners are invited for ride alongs with us so that you can see, you know, who we serve, um, who we euthanize, when we euthanize and why. I mean, as I said, you know, the door is open. It's an open book. Um, there's nothing that we do that we can't defend. And I so, well, and I also want to give Ingrid a big hug. So, and I'd probably give you a hug too. She but loves like, hugs. I would love to give her a hug. So, if you're listening, Ingrid, holler at me. That's humanemain.com. Humane without the wait. Humane Maine without the <laughs> e on the end because it ain't the state. Because we keep it humane Maine. Humanemain.com. Check us out there. You can download the podcast there. Obviously, there's some other stuff on our website as well. And we really, we appreciate all the listeners. We appreciate all of our guests. Daphna, this was an incredible episode and mm -hmm. really looking forward to kind of the feedback that you get from this, the feedback that we get from this. And we hope to just continue to raise awareness about all the welfare that all the good animal welfare things that are happening in, in the world. And that's my last point is I don't care if you're, if you work for best friends, I don't care if you work for HSUS, I don't care if you work for mercy for animals 
or PETA, or you work for a municipality, we have one fucking goal is to help people and help animals. So and please just keep that on together. Yeah. Like we're all in it together, man. Stop all this BS, you know? So that's my point. Sometimes I just got to get a little, there's my emotion right there. There's my non-practical sense. Uh, so let's just help people. Let's help animals the best ways that we can. And, and utilize the resources that are out there. There's so many resources, look in the right places and find them. And if you need help, we're always here to, to point you in those places. So without further ado, Bishop, take it away. Let's keep it. Humane. Main. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Daphna. Yes, thank you. Thank you.